you have your Bibles this morning, would you please turn to the Old Testament book of Joshua. And don't be ashamed if you need to look at your table of contents to find Joshua. It's in the Old Testament. And we'll be in chapter 1 today. We've been in a series entitled New Lessons from Old Stories. And we're working our way through a list of Old Testament people. And we're discovering new lessons um, about some of these Old Testament people. And today we're going to talk about a very practical lesson we can learn from the life of a man named Joshua in chapter 1. And today's subject is about what I'm calling the transitions of life. It's, it's, it's about changing things that change in our life. And when we talk about transitions, they really just come in two general categories. Just when we, when we think about transitions, the first category would be transitions that we anticipate. And so these are transitions that we look forward to. Things like when we graduate from high school and then we move on to a career or we move on to college. It's a transitional point or, or maybe from after we graduate from college, then it's the career. Um, maybe it's from singleness to marriage. That's a great transition to have and a transition to look forward to. Maybe it's you're renting an apartment and now you're gonna be moving into your very own home that, that, that you've purchased. And so those are transitions that we anticipate. That's the first type of transition. The second type of transition is something very different. It's transitions that we dread. These are first transitions that we anticipate, things we look forward to, and then transitions that we dread. And, and maybe we preferred to stay at this job, but we got laid off, and so there's a transition there. Or maybe we preferred to live in this home, but the, the landlord said it's, the lease is up and it's time for you to, to move on. Or, or maybe the company's relocating, or, or the marriage is ending, or a loved one um, has passed away. These are transitions that, that we really dread. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you find yourself in a difficult transition, whether it's anticipated or it's dreaded, you're going to find yourself at what I call the intersection of the promises of God and the harsh realities of life. It's the transition or the intersection of the promises of God and the harsh realities of life. And where God is saying, hey, trust me, trust me through this time. And you're saying, but God, I mean, if you've ever been one of those who said, uh, why God? Because you're not understanding this point of change in your life you know what that transition is all about. And it's a very confusing intersection when you come to that intersection of life. And you're trying to hang on to the promises of God. And, and, and you have your emotions and your realities all built in. And, and it, they're just, it's just screaming at you, but God, and, and why God? And, and what am I going to do through this time? How many of you have ever been through one of those intersections in life? Sure. Not the ones you saw on the, on the screen right over here. But yeah, it's... It, we go through those changes all the time. Well, I've got some good news for you. The good news is it's normal. And I've got some bad news for you. The bad news is it's normal, right? And so we're all going to go through these things. Now, what we do at this intersection makes all the difference in the world, and it'll determine how God will work in your life in the future. Now, Joshua chapter 1 speaks to this very transition in life. And it's a, it's a much anticipated transition as we get to Joshua chapter 1. 
And, and for Joshua and Moses and the children of Israel, they were looking forward to entering into what's called the promised land. For years they've been looking forward to this. And pastors Martin and Pastor John and Pastor Dave talked to us about this over the last three weeks through the life of Moses. But here we find ourselves with the children of Israel. They were 400 years in, in the region of Egypt. And, and for some of those years, they were in slavery in terrible conditions. Now, God sent Moses to the children of Israel to deliver them to the promised land. And God's original plan was that Moses would break them out of Egypt in slavery, and then, and then they'd wander around the desert for one year, just one year, and learn some lessons, and then enter the promised land. So after a year, God told them, okay, you're almost there at the promised land, and why don't you send out some spies to the promised land to scope out the land. That's their only job was to scope out the land. And so they did that. But the spies came back and they, and they said, we're going to decide whether the children of Israel were strong enough to take the promised land. The spies went in the promised land and they said, there's giants over there and there's fortified cities and there's large armies. And they came to this confusing intercession because that land was called the what, what land? It was the promised land. It was the promises of God. But the realities that were screaming at them from the spies was there are giants there and there's fortified cities. And so God says, I promise to give this to you. But they're at this other intersection where the spies said, hey, we're not strong enough to actually do this. And so what do they do? They begin to whine and complain, Right? what Pastor Dave talked to us about last week. And then God said, you know what, that's enough. I've had enough out of you. And for the next 39 years, the children of Israel wandered around in the desert until that first generation died off. And the second generation was to take over. And we pick up the story here in Joshua chapter 1. The next generation is now poised to enter into the promised land. And so what we have here is the intersection that we've been talking about. And this is Joshua's story. The first side of the intersection is God's promises. And I want you to listen to the promises of God as I read this passage to you in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Now I want you to listen for the promises. Verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and, to the, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you heard all the promises, right? Did you hear them all there in that, in that passage? Now, this is sort of like life. Life is like this. Let's say you start a new job. You're, you're getting ready to start a new job tomorrow, let's say. And, and let's say God, if God came to you, not a fortune cookie, okay, it's God, not a horoscope. This is God speaking to you, not a preacher even, but this is God himself speaking to you. And he said to you, in the starting of this new job, wherever you go, whatever you set your foot to, whatever you do, I promise you success. Wouldn't you be pumped up about that? I mean, wouldn't you be really excited? Like, I'm starting this new job, I'm a little bit nervous, but God said, well, sure. But look at what God says 
or, or what we read here. What we read here next is a little confusing. This is life's reality. See, you're, you have this intersection with God's promises, and now we have life's reality. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Now, if God made the promises of verses 1 through 5, why would he tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? You tell people to be strong and courageous when they're about to enter an uncertain future. But if you already promised them that it's going to be okay, why would you tell someone to be strong and courageous? Instructions follow here. Verse 7. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, now if you use your Bible like a life textbook, you mark it up and, and you make notes in it, go ahead and take your pen or pencil and circle the word then. Draw a box around it. Put an exclamation point around it. Underline it. Do whatever, because this is important. Because there are conditions to success. Even though God has made promises... There are some conditions and further instructions he's giving. It says, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know why God gave these instructions here? Because in our fallen world, it's normal to find yourself at the intersection of God's promises in life's realities. And you're going to need strength and you're going to need courage to follow God. And so in verse 10 it says, So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. So when you're at this confusing intersection where where God has the promises and you have the realities of life, there are two directions you can go when you're at this intersection, this confusing time in your life. You can go the coward's way, or you can go the way of faith. And so let's unpack the difference between the coward's pathway when you're at this confusing intersection, and then this road of faith. In the confusing intersection, God always prompts us, he says, follow me during this time. So let's take a look at what we call the coward's detour. And we'll take a look at the difference between the coward's response and the courageous response. And so, what happens when we lack spiritual courage is our question here. What happens when we get to this intersection in the realities of life and the fears take over here? Well, number one is this. Cowards get angry and quit when you, when you reach that intersection. And, and you think, when you're a coward and you're ready to quit, you think, I don't think God's coming through. God's timing and my timing, they, they just aren't syncing up right now. And we get angry at God, and we say, well, God, if, if that's the way you're going to do things, if that's the way you're going to treat me, then I'll show you God. You know, it's a strange sense that we have, I think. And I've talked to a lot of people in, out in the community, people who um, say I'm a Christian or I, I'm, you know, I believe in God, those sorts of things. And, and some will even say this. They'll say, you know, I've, Dean, I've tried God. 
and I don't like what he's doing in my life right now, or in the world, for that matter. And I've, told, I've heard people tell me, Dean, I've quit God. And I, and I think to myself, I wonder what God's thinking right now when people say, I quit God. I mean, you think God's up in heaven and he's saying, oh, my feelings are so hurt right now. I don't think so. People quit God all the time. See, a good passage of scripture to read when you're feeling like God's unfair in your life is Psalm 73. Asaph wrote Psalm 73, and I go there often when I feel like things aren't really happening the way I want them to go. Asaph was a guy who was following God, and he was leading God's people to do the same. But he looked around, and as he's following God, he looks around in the world and in his culture and his city around, and he sees all these bad guys who are having success. And he's looking at himself, and he's not doing so hot. And so take a look at Psalm 73, and let me just read you just the first nine verses here. This is Asaph, and he's writing this song. He says, Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped, for I had nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have any struggles, and their bodies are always healthy and strong, and they're free from the burdens that are common to everybody, and they're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves in violence. And from their callous heart comes iniquity, and the evil conceits of their minds knows no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. In their mouths, they claim to heaven, but their tongues take possession of the earth. So Asaph asks, what good is it for me to follow God in this difficult time? Everyone else is doing great, but, but I'm just struggling right now. And then God shows him something in the next following verses. I encourage you to read that this week during your time with God. And Asaph finally gives up and he says, okay, I was wrong, God, you're right. Basically, God, you're God and I'm not. And so you're right, God. And this is a great psalm to read when you feel like God's not coming through in your life. So what's the coward's way? Well, cowards get angry and they quit. Second thing is cowards take the easy way out. All the time, cowards will take the easy way out because they don't understand that there will be times that God cannot explain his timing or his reasoning when you reach that difficult intersection in your life. And they look at the immediate circumstances and they say, pain and hardship should always be avoided at all costs. And so these cowards, they bail out. Life examples of this would be, let's say you're, you're just plodding along in your life and you've got a couple good jobs and everything's going good financially and then you reach just a roadblock and you reach financial difficulties. And although you made financial commitments to God, you said, I'm gonna give back, God, and I made that commitment to you, cowards will always try to find an escape route from that when financial hard times hit. Or maybe um, uh, you see this life reality a lot. You know, couples will say, you know, we're so much in love and uh, we're so committed to one another. We're engaged to be married, but suddenly life circumstances hit and um, financial pressures hit maybe geographic sensibilities hit. And we're saving for the wedding, by the way, and, and we know God will understand that we'll just live together before we get married. It'll be okay. 
See, cowards take the easy way out all the time. Or maybe you hear people say, you know, I know our yes should be yes and our no should be no, but people really don't understand our very personal situation. So don't tell anybody, but we'll, we'll just file our taxes in this certain way because God will understand. It's a coward's way out. You know, sin is almost always a shortcut, an escape clause, an easy way out. We need to remember that when you're at the intersection of God's promises and life realities, the evil one will always offer you a shortcut to it. But don't do it, because that's the coward's way. A coward gets angry and quits. A coward takes the easy way out. And the third thing is this. Cowards always think they know best. Cowards will always say, I know best here. And this leads us to make stupid decisions. A scripture, which is what I would call an instruction kit, when you find yourself at a life change or a life transition, is a classic scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is your God's instruction kit to you when you hit a life change, a confusing intersection. And it goes like this in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When I hit that confusing intersection, and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Now, leaning on your own understanding will send you into this coward's detour. When you decide, this is my understanding, this is the side I'm going to go, it'll always send you in this detour. And in verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. This is your toolkit when you hit that confusing intersection. God told Joshua, Obey all of my commands. Do not turn from them, either from the left or to the right. Now, that's one road. That's the coward's pathway. Let's take a look at the faith pathway. Now, if I'm following the path called faith, it's, it's a totally different direction that we're going in. And the first is this. If I'm following this path called faith, I take the scripture seriously. I take the Bible very seriously. Now, let me speak to you just, just real quick about how our culture views faith. You probably see it in the workplace. You see it in your neighborhood. You see it. Uh, maybe even with your family. This is how our culture views faith. They view faith as positive thinking, uh, or, or maybe the convergence of positive thinking. You ever hear when, when you say, well, I'm going through a really tough time, and someone will come up to you and say, well, I'll think positive thoughts about you. And I think, well, thank you very much, but that's really not going to help me right now. You know, <laughs> That's not faith. It's just positive thinking. It, it's not faith. It's not even the... If we get a lot of people to think positive about me, that's not going to help me either. That's not faith. Another thing our culture does is they'll, they'll say, well, you know, this is faith. If it all works out in the end, you know, it, it, or they'll say, it all works out in the end. It, and then they call that faith. Well, that's resignation. That's passivity. That's not faith at all. Faith is trusting in what God says. And if I trust in what God says, i got to know what he says, don't you think? It's not okay to trust God for what you imagine him to be. You know, you say, I trust God for the God I imagine he would be, the, the loving God that he is. Or it's not okay to, to just follow your heart. That's not faith. Following your heart is not faith. And following your heart is, or, or, or faith is not Letting your conscience be your guide. Sort of the Jiminy Cricket way of, of, of believing, right? That, that's not right. 
when, when you're in the difficult intersection, the transition of life, of God's promises and life's realities, you need to follow the path called faith. And you need to take the scriptures very seriously. God told Joshua this. Take a look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. We already looked at it, but look at all the un underlined sections. It's, he says, be careful to obey all the law. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything written in it. And this is after God promised Joshua. Remember those, these silly, um, not silly, I'm sorry. Remember these, right? And maybe some of you, I'm not going to call them silly, just because maybe some of you, by chance, someone might be wearing one of those uh, today. This is WWJD bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? Okay. There was a popular fad. It was kind of intriguing at the time because people were wearing those, all, wearing those all over the place. And for some, it was the most stupid thing you could wear. Many people would wear those WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do bracelets? And they had no idea what Jesus did. But boy, they loved to wear those things as if it made them spiritual or something like that. You see, faith starts with knowing God. And knowing God starts with, you got to know the Bible. you got to understand what this is all about. So if I po follow the path called faith, when I'm at this confusing intersection, I take the scriptures seriously. The second thing I do is this. I obey even when it's scary. Because it's guaranteed when you're at that confusing intersection, it's going to be scary. You're not going to know which way to go, which road to take at times. But I'm going to obey God even when it's scary. And, and that's the path of faith. Even when I don't understand it, even when I'm worried about it, even when I'm concerned and anxious about it, I'm going to follow God, obey God, even when it's scary. The third thing you do when you follow the path of faith is this. I trust God more than myself. And this is hard. This is perhaps the hardest one. We're taught to trust ourselves. People are telling you, just follow your heart. You're, you're educated. You, you've got a good mind. You know the path to take in reality. But God's promises are, are, are intersecting with, with, with your reality. And you've got to trust God more than yourself. Faith says it's scary to go God's way. But I trust God more than I trust me. And I want to sum up this idea of the intersection of God's promises and life's harsh reality. And the confusion that comes all along with all of that and, and when we make this decision to follow the path called faith, it's hard. But what we find ourselves is really just kind of, I'll, I'll say it's, it's one verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It's the principle of Joshua, what we just read in about 9 or 10 verses, in one verse. And so you're thinking right now, it's the end of the messaging. Why don't you just give us this one verse and start there, right? But, but it's okay. It, it's all right. We're going we're gonna to stick right here and we're going to end with this one verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It's a classic verse once again. It begins here. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Okay, so what, we're, what we can say here is despite what you think or what you heard, 
what you're facing when you're in a confusing, confusing intersection between God's promises and life's realities is it's not new. People have made it through this intersection before. It's common to every human being. So despite what you think or heard, it's common. Second sentence here in verse 13. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. This is a promise. It's a good promise. But how many of you have been at that intersection of that promise and life's realities? I have. I've, I've been there. God's faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's a great promise. It, it's sort of like this. Um, you ever been, not at an intersection so much, but you ever been on a roundabout? It's like that. It isn't... It, in the intersection of God's promises and life's realities is not as clean as two streets intersecting sometimes. It's like a roundabout. And roundabouts are created. This one was created on the Esplanade, if you know where that's at, by Miramar Park, by Torrance Beach. It's a real simple, small one. It's not large ones like the ones found in Europe and the one in Long Beach, you know, that, that big one in Long Beach. But when you get to that roundabout, isn't it confusing sometimes? You get there and you got one eye on the... On the, on the streets and then the other eye on the car next to you. And they're, they're supposed to be made to just be sort of graceful uh, things, right? It's beautiful. There's a park in the middle with great landscaping and you're just driving along and you just, when you find your road, you just take it. And it's supposed to be uh, just a, a dance of sorts, right? And uh, it's not supposed to be collisions and honking of the horn and things like, you just go and, and you find the road you want to take it and you go with it. But here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what's common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out, a way out, so that you can stand up under it. What this verse is really saying is at this confusing intersection in your life, in change, in a transition time, there is a way out. And that way out is a street. And that street is called obedience. The street is a way out and it's marked obedience and it's God's way. And so when you're going to that roundabout and you're a little bit nervous and you're unsure which way you should go, you always look for the street that's marked obedience. It may not always be the easiest way. It may not always be the smoothest way. It may not be the best traveling road, but it's God's path, and it's marked obedience for all of us. So we have this intersection of God's promises, our own realities, and it can be difficult, it can be confusing, and it'll be very stressful, guaranteed. But it's a time that we need that courage and that strength that we read about in Joshua chapter 1. We need to have faith and we need to know God. We need to carefully pull out the manual and find out what he wants me to do and then do it in faith. And we need to follow the path that leads to God in obedience. To my church family here at Nova Community, I know all of us are going through transitions at one time or another. It's common to all of us. When God's promises and life's realities, they intersect, and it's confusing, it's scary at times, 
Joshua went through it. We go through it. But we need to follow the path that will lead us to God that's marked obedience. Amen.